Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Garden State of Hockey. It's been a while. We tried to come back a little bit sooner, but due to one thing or another, we decided it's just better to address you all today as the New Jersey Devils have navigated their way through the 2020 trade deadline. And before we deal with that, we have a lot to catch up on in terms of games the Devils played in which they alternated wins and losses while being very bad, except against Washington, which was weird. So uh, my name is Dan Roselle. I'm back from sunny Florida. I got a tan and it all went away very quickly because I'm back in Boston, but I'm joined by John Fisher squatting up in New Jersey and being around the hotbed of trade activity in the NHL. How you doing, John? I am not tanned. But I am relaxed and ready to run through seven games because nobody cares about the seven games involving the New Jersey Devils at this point because it's all about the trade. It's all about the deals. It's about wheeling and dealing. It's about what you got in return and what you could have done in return and arguing over that until ad infinitum because that's what you do on trade deadline day. Yeah. And that's what we've been doing all day. I'm sure you, same as me, sat there refreshing Twitter, waiting for news to pop up as players move left and right, starting real early in the morning with the Islanders uh, getting J.G. Pajot. But that's not Devils-related, so I don't really care about nope. that. It was just the starting nope. point that we're uh, kicking off from. However, you can say that the trade season started a little bit earlier, but let's work our way into that, because before the Devils started um, really cutting down this roster, as we all expected that they would, they had some games to play, and it turned out to be the final games for, uh, or some of the final games for uh, several of the Devils that are no longer with the team. So do you want to start us off here? Exactly. So five New Jersey Devils, and we'll mention them as we go, Start. they were on the Devils when we had our last episode. They are no longer Devils as of this episode. So that's how much has changed. But let's start with the Devils games themselves. So the first game in our seven-game run that we're going through is Florida versus New Jersey on the 11th. Uh, of note of this game is that Louis Domingue got the start over Mackenzie Blackwood, who had two straight shutouts. And despite having two days off prior, the Devils said, no, we must worry about the workload of Blackwood. So they sacrificed Domingue to Florida. And Florida pretty much bodied and styled and profiled all over the Devils with a fourth line featuring Noel Achari shooting like 25% this season and two defensemen as wingers. They scored three of the five goals against the Devils. The Devils lost 5-3. Decidedly unfun. <laughs> it was decidedly unfun. And it kicked off a run of the Devils just getting torn up in the run of play. And that continued on to Thursday night when Blackwood would return to the net against the Detroit Red Wings. In theory, the Devils should beat the Detroit Red Wings based on general principle of the season because good gravy is that Detroit team awful this season. But for the first two periods of that game, you wouldn't have known it because the Devils absolutely struggled to move the puck and play something resembling NHL hockey against the worst team in the NHL. Then they had a four-minute blitz where they scored four goals, including the last goal of Andy Green as a New Jersey Devil, kicking it all off. And then exactly four minutes later, it's four, it's four one. And hey, the Devils beat the Red Wings. So I guess all things uh, are fine at the end of the day. However, the Devils followed that bad performance against Detroit, despite winning, by going into Carolina on Valentine's Day and pretty much, what's the word I'm looking for here? Getting decisively beaten down by Carolina throughout yeah. the game. The being returned to the net. He actually played a fairly decent game in this one. Um Actually, no, I take that back. He didn't play that decently. Uh, but compared to some of the other Devils uh, that night, he pretty much did. So the Devils got wrecked 5-2 to two on Valentine's Day. It was not romantic for anybody who was a Devils fan unless you're into watching the team lose. And if so, uh, Sherman Abrams, you have some odd ways to enjoy yourself on games. But, hey, you do what you do. I think the theming anyway. was just all in the, theme, uh, the team's colors that night. Perhaps. It was really all just about the red, white, and you know, black like the Devils fans' hearts right now. Perhaps. <laughs> but moving onward, then things get interesting on Sunday, February 16th, 2020, a day of relative infamy of the 2019-2020 season. We've already had a coach fired hours before a game. We've had a GM fired hours before a game. What else can join that, Dan? How about trading your captain, Andy Green, Hours before the game against Columbus on the 16th, he was moved to the Islanders. He waived his no trade clause and he was acquired for David Quenville, who is not a good defenseman whatsoever. Literally, the athletic scouting report on him says uh, he cannot defend. Wow. And a 2021 second rounder, not a 2020 second rounder, a 2021 second rounder. Um, but amazingly, a miracle happened, Dan. The Devils 
managed to beat Columbus for the first time since 2017. They ended a nine-game winless streak against Columbus with a 4-3 shootout win where the Devils gave up a ridiculous amount of shots to Mackenzie Blackwood. The final total after uh, overtime was 55 shots. It's one of the highest amounts the Devils have ever allowed from a shooting perspective. And the shootout itself went to seven rounds, but Jesper Bratt was the hero, and he even set up one of the goals. And I note that, Dan, because guess guess who sat for the St. Louis game on Tuesday? Yeah, it was Jesper Bratt himself, but there was another important player missing from oh, that yes, Columbus game. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Yes, in addition to Green being traded, Blake Coleman was scratched that night for precautionary reasons. And those of you who remember the Taylor Hall situation know that that means he was going to get dealt. And he was dealt during the Columbus game. Specifically, he was uh, dealt to Tampa Bay for... Vancouver's conditional first rounder, the condition being that Vancouver has to make the playoffs, otherwise it becomes a 2021 first rounder, and the rights to Nolan Foote, who is a really big, really good shooting, really good playmaking uh, left winger. So the Devils actually got an offensive prospect of substance in return, somebody who could actually be somebody someday. So they actually got good value for Blake Coleman. Very good. Let's recap all that then. So you mentioned. Losing coach, losing your GM, losing your best player, trading your captain, and then trading the pretty much one of the last remaining heart and soul players on the team that was, you know, a homegrown product of it. And Coleman upped his value so much over the last two years that he was able to yield this really nice return, which helped Fitzgerald make a significantly stronger case for staying on as the GM after the season expires. Yep. <laughs> And we're rebuilding, man. And it's, we're rebuilding. It, it all, you know, as if that wasn't enough, there were a couple assets that we already knew about. We'll get to those as we get to the deadline. But Coleman was one of the ones that we didn't – I think you and I both weren't expecting Coleman and Green to no. move when they did, at least not before Vaughn and Simmons, who did end up moving. But it is a case of, okay, I'm shocked that they went first. But for the value that they got, the deals made sense. I mean, even just the second rounder for Andy Green would have been a good return. Absolutely. I mean, it did stun me that, A, a team would want a 37-year-old to clearly declining Andy Green. Like, he was a great player, um, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And maybe even three to four years ago, he was much better. But now it's like you you watch him play, you're like, why? But, hey, if you can get a second of any year for him, You got to do it. And with Coleman, I honestly thought he was going to be dealt at all in the sense of with the Devils, if their goal is to be competitive to some level next season, you want a guy on a really favorable contract who contributes in multiple different ways, not just attacking because Coleman has been very, very um, good going forward on offense, but also very good on the penalty kill. You could put him on a power play and it'll fit in just fine. Like he does a lot of different things and does pretty well at them. So those are the types of players you want to build around, even if they're only going to be for the short term. So it was a surprise that he was moved. And at the same time, it also opened, quote, quote unquote, Pandora's box, because now if Coleman's getting dealt, you can't really say many devils were off the table, so to speak. Obviously, that did not happen on the trade deadline and up until the trade deadline. However, you start wondering, okay, does this mean Paul Mary's going to go? Does this mean Wood is available? Does this mean other players are available that are signed through the following season? And we shall see. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, no, we won't see because we actually have the answer now. The answer was no. No, they didn't get moved at all. But I'm sure discussions and offers and calls were made because when when you move Coleman, it pretty much is a giant sign to the rest of the uh, league that, hey, we're rebuilding again. So shoot your shot. Maybe we'll even accept it. Yeah, I mean, it's not – it's a we shall see in the summer maybe because I yeah. think they, they use the remainder of this time for players like that. And they're going to be calling up a bunch of guys since the roster has been severely depleted from what we've seen on opening night. But this is the time where it's basically another training camp. So these guys get another chance at NHL experience, but this time, you know, in actual games that will be logged and meaningful. And this is the moment where they look at the guys you mentioned, the Wood, the Severson, what have you, and they say, okay, is are these players that we want moving forward with this next project of rebuilding around Nico and Jack, or is this someone that we could theoretically move this summer to even get the ball rolling on the on the assets that come back for them even earlier? Exactly. So, that being said, let's run through the pre, the the following three games to sort of catch us up to where we stand today as we record this on the NHL trade deadline. So, 
I mentioned that Jesper Bratt had a good game against Columbus, Dan. He did. So he did. So naturally, as nobody would possibly expect, he was scratched <laughs> for the St. Louis game on Tuesday, February 18th. Uh, Elaine Nazardine cited reasons of consistency for a guy who scored eight points in his last 10 games and literally was a reason why the Devils beat Columbus for the first time in nine attempts or I'm sorry, 10 attempts. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's coach speak. I think the real reason was something else. I mean, come on. If you're going to complain about consistency, you have to look at the rest of the Devils roster and like scratch all, you know, half the roster. Anyway, the if Devils it was for say- another reason, I want to add also, like since that scratching, every time Brett has done anything offensively, he's been staring daggers at Nazardine. And appropriately so, <laughs> yeah. as he should. And and to your point, Dan, he did. Yeah. But I'll get to that in a moment. So Domingue played what would be his last start for the New Jersey Devils on February 18th in St. Louis, and he actually played well. He actually was a big reason why St. Louis didn't, like, bulldoze the Devils within the first uh, period. However, eventually, the Blues demonstrated that they are a really good team, while the Devils demonstrated that they were a very bad team. And eventually, the goals did come. Um, They only needed one, as the Devils gave Jordan Bennington his easiest shutout of his young NHL career so far, and the Devils lost 3-0. So the Devils followed that by going into Thursday to play the San Jose Sharks. And before that game, Domingue was placed on waivers to be sent down to Binghamton. And Corey Schneider was called up to back up Mackenzie Blackwood. And similar to the Detroit game the week prior, the Devils took on a San Jose team that has been bad and has been riddled with injuries to their top players and played a very sluggish game against them. However, however... Jesper Brock got back in the lineup, scored on a breakaway goal, stared daggers uh, at Nazardine after scoring on Martin Jones to make it to get one goal. And then P.K. Subban, of all players, fired a shot through traffic and it got into the net during a power play. So he scored his first power play goal in seemingly forever. And the Devils held on to win 2-1 in another game that was rather ugly, but they got the result over a bad San Jose team. Was this the game that Will Butcher got injured as well? Will Butcher got injured. Ooh, I can't. I'm trying to remember if he got injured in this one or if he got injured in the St. Louis game. No, it was the St. Louis game because he mm-hmm. only played um, something like a minute and then he was out. So this San Jose game did involve the debut of Dakota Mermis. <laughs> I assure you, that is an actual name. Uh, he was a minor league, well, rather, the Devils signed him to an NHL contract. He's like an AHL veteran a quad a player i guess for lack of a better term and he entered the game he actually fired a whole bunch of shots early on he was halfway decent you know he was better than colton white who has been in the lineup uh due to vatnin's ongoing injury by the way this entire all these games that i've been talking about sammy vatnin has been on ir and he has made no progress towards returning so there's that and now you had will butcher on the shelf so your defense featured mirko mueller pk suban damon severson Colton White, Connor Carrick, Dakota Mermis. Yeah, I mean, I, I I sent in a tweet earlier today, but looking at that, and it was before the Vatanen trade went down, but now that it has, it's exactly the defensive group that we thought it would be with Mermis probably being interchanged with whoever they want to bring up and give a shot in the NHL, but that group does not inspire all the confidence in the world. So if Mackenzie Blackwood, if people weren't sure if he's an NHL starter, he's about to find out because he has a gauntlet coming up and we'll talk about, you know, their schedule coming up and what our prognostications for that are. And spoiler alert, it's not good. It's not going to be pretty, but Blackwood really, you know, he's really going to get tossed and trialed by fire here in the remaining couple months of the season, because after these next couple of games for New Jersey, which are on the softer side against some opponents and really opponents that are below them in the standings, which is surprising. They get an absolute mess of playoff teams coming one after another after another. So Blackwood is really going to show something. um, You know, he's going to have to show something to show that he can hang with these teams. Like the Devils should be more in the middle of the pack of the teams they're facing. No, instead they're below them with the roster they have now. And he's going to be a big part of making sure they get, I don't know, more than three wins the rest of the way. Well, Dan, 
I think Blackwood has already demonstrated that he can handle this because he's been literally facing bucket loads of shots yeah. in all the games that I've mentioned so far. Right. But I mean, I mean, so far as we're talking today, there's three games left in the season. He's got a 97 save percentage, 97 percent save percentage in all situations for the Devils. Wow. And he is great. So if the Devils, as you mentioned, the Devils have alternated wins, you know, one win here, one win here. The the difference being this final game against Washington. Um, the, the reason why the Devils won for their last seven is primarily because Blackwood has been playing out of his mind and in spite of the performance of the 18 men in front of him. That being said, that leads me to the game against Washington, which I would have predicted this would have been a slaughter. You know, Washington needs points. They're taking on the worst team in the in the division, the Del- you know Washington has already stomped all over the Devils twice earlier this season, and it's also right before the trade deadline. So you know some players may not be feeling it, but amazingly the Devils played their best five-on-five game in the month, and actually hung with Washington for the most part. Yes, Washington got quite a few shots, but that was primarily because the Devils took something like six different penalties. They gave up six power plays to one of the teams that you should never give six power plays to, and the game did have the note of it being Alexander Ovechkin's 700th goal being scored. It was scored on what was seemingly for the 700th time this season of the Devils not paying attention to their weak side on defense. Five men looking at the puck, nobody paying attention to what's happening behind them or could be on the goaltender's weak side. Ovechkin was there. He rifled in up, up high. Everybody cheered. It got a standing ovation, yada, yada, yada. It doesn't matter because... Michael Kepney decided to have a temper tantrum on Kyle Palmieri during a power play late in the third period, gave the Devils an extended power play after the five-on-three, and Damon Severson was the hero of the night, scoring the goal off Ilya Samsonov's glove. Take that, Alexander Ovechkin. You can have the milestone. Capitalize the L in it because you're holding a big fat one in a 3-2 regulation loss to the worst team in the division. You're welcome, Pittsburgh. (laughs) I am saying this, of course, knowing that Washington beat Pittsburgh the very next day. Right. Place. But the point is still the same, Dan. Uh, well, Historians will always have to note that this 700th goal was in a losing effort this, to this a was, bad Devils hockey team. This was also as Pittsburgh was actively getting destroyed by Buffalo. Yes, exactly. Like, which was the weirdest thing because I think that Pittsburgh dropped their last three as we speak, and that game was not pretty. They had lost the game before to Toronto 4 nothing, and then dropped this game to Buffalo 5-2. So they're watching Ovi tie the game at 2-2 on his 700th goal saying, okay, this is a nightmare. And then, uh, you know, Damon Severson bailed them out a little bit, and they had a chance to retake the division lead, and they squandered it against Washington. But the Devils did what they could to play spoiler, and I feel like that's going to be, you know, with the schedule that we know is coming up, that's going to be the majority of what they're doing the rest of the way. Right. And of note, one final note before we talk about what happened today on the 24th mm-hmm. is that Wayne Simmons, Wayne Simmons was in the right place at the right time during a power play in the second period where Jesper Brat redirected a pass from Nikita Gusev on net. It actually beat Samsonov through the legs, but it went off the post. Simmons was in the right place at the right time to put the puck in the net. So he scored his uh, eighth goal of the season with the Devils, and it would turn out to be his last with the Devils as he was dealt earlier today on the 24th. So Mm -hmm. in this run of seven games, we got to see the end of Andy Green, Blake Coleman, Louis Domingue, and now Wayne Simmons. Vatnin being the only exception here because he was on IR for the entire month so far. Mm -hmm. So and we did get to see them contribute some positive memories. And given where they're where they were dealt, we're going to see a couple of them before the season's out. So, well, so, but let's take a break here just because, yeah, let's like take a, a small break, catch our breaths, and then we're going to talk about today's action. Yeah, there's a lot more to come. We just have, uh, you know, to really buckle down and talk about the deadline because there was a lot of confusion as the deadline went on. And with social media dominating this age, obviously a lot of fake accounts out there, so on so forth. But also, there was this notion of, you know, maybe even the insiders got the initial returns wrong. So we've let the dust settle and we're coming to you after all that um, with this recording just to make sure that we have all the details hammered out. So we will uh, also double back and go a little bit more in depth to the Coleman and Green deals when we're back from the break. So we'll see you guys in a few seconds. All right, we're back. And of course, today was deadline day, which was a big deal for the Devils as they once again found themselves sellers at the trade deadline. But it's rare that I've seen 
the Devils themselves move as many pieces as they did this year, even though a lot of them did have to move with their contract situations. There was a lot more moving parts to this deadline than I've usually seen from the Devils, and it all started with that Andy Green trade that we alluded to. Well, I mean, realistically, it all started with Taylor it. Hall. <laughs> yeah, but we, we already covered the basics of... We already talked the Hall, about the Hall trade in the past. We already talked about Green prior to the break and as well as Coleman. Mm -hmm. So today's actions were more or less about what else could the devils do? Um, you had four pending UFAs in Wayne Simmons, Sammy Vatnin, Louis Domingue and Kevin Rooney. And since Coleman was traded, you also have to question is Kyle Palmieri going to go? Is somebody else going to go? What could the devils do? Knowing also the other wrinkle in all this is that Tom Fitzgerald, the interim GM, is very much still an interim GM. Mm -hmm. We don't know if he's making these moves for himself in a bid to make himself uh, uh, more attractive to become the general manager full time for the devils. Or was he or is he setting the table up for the next one to take the spot? We don't know. That's really something only ownership can answer. And as of now, we don't know what, owner, what way ownership is going to go. So with that all in mind, Dan, let's talk about what happened today. Yeah, so today was a very interesting day. We, we came into today knowing that more likely than not, Votnin and Simmons would be on the move, right? So we would heard yeah. their names in rumors come up. There's a lot of teams with the need for a defenseman as there have been a weird rash of injuries happening, even in the, I mean, especially in the Metropolitan Division. So there's a couple of teams that emerge as potential suitors for Votnin specifically. And it turns out all of the rumors on Simmons were wrong because he was the devil's um, first deal of the day. And Wayne Simmons ended up being traded. He, he was held out of practice today, so everyone understood what yep. was going on. But he ended up being traded to Buffalo for a fifth-round pick. Uh, can, sorry, uh, this is a very important because the brashness of this is not to be ignored. But it's a conditional fifth-round pick in 2021, which becomes a fourth-round pick if Buffalo makes the playoffs and Simmons plays at least 10 games. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that that is a level of hope we have not seen since... I don't even, like since 1980 maybe and the miracle on ice happened. I don't really know why Buffalo included that condition and you have to think it was just a little laugh for the Devils brass to read in the trade details, but Simmons ended up waiving a no trade clause as well to go to Buffalo to inject some leadership into their locker room and clearly he had an impact on this team in Jersey. These guys are mostly young guys. They, you know, they're new to the league and Simmons was someone who had been He's a veteran. He's been on a couple teams. He knows the way the league works. And while he has, you know, lost some ability and he's been declining, he was still clearly an important voice in the room and someone that was very much respected. You could you could see that with all the exit interviews that the players had after practice today regarding Simmons. They really looked up to him as a leader, and that's something that he'll be bringing over to Buffalo. But I think the fact that they managed to get any. I mean, this is barely even a tangible asset, but they got something, and there was almost a 0% chance they were going to look to re-sign him after the season. Well, Dan, it just goes to show that's how much how valuable leadership, veteran presence, and I'll even throw in the G word here, grit, means in the NHL. I mean, you know, a conditional fifth-round pick in next year's draft is pretty much next to nothing. It's not on the level of Keith Kincaid being traded for a seventh, you know, a fifth rounder in 2023, uh -huh. <laughs> um, which was last year's, you know, pretty much like, yeah, we'll just take whatever for you pick. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a disappointing trade in the sense of the devils could have waited two hours or even right up to the deadline itself and say, Hey, Buffalo, do you still want to make that deal? And just hope that maybe somebody offers something more tangible. Even just a fifth rounder in this year's draft would have been worth more. Uh, Cause again, a fifth rounder by itself is not worth very much, whether or not the condition is met, which it won't because Buffalo is not anywhere close to the playoff race right now. They fans can tell me all they want. They're only six points out of uh, Toronto in third place in the Atlantic, but you can't convince me this Buffalo team is better than Florida or Toronto. Um, because they're not. They're right. simply not. And the move, other moves they made today indicate that they're not either. So I don't know why they made this trade, and I don't know why the Devils accepted it. This is, If I could compare this, Dan, I'm, I'm going to use this analogy to best describe how I feel about this trade. If you're at a hockey game and you see somebody 
like a defenseman. Think Mirko Mueller, for example. He keeps the puck in at the sideboard at the blue line. So he's in the corner of the offensive zone. And since nobody's within 10 feet of him, because of course nobody's going to be within 10 feet of him because it's Mirko Mueller in one of the worst places on the ice to shoot from, everybody in the arena starts screaming, shoot. And then Mueller decides to shoot and the puck gets deflected away or comes nowhere near close to making the front of the net. So, and then everybody just goes, well, that was that. that that's pretty much this trade was. Everybody wanted to see a trade. Congratulations, you got a trade. It was nothing. You, The Devils got next to nothing for this deal. Well done. This was pretty much a trade made for the sake of making a trade. So, yes, I get that he's walking, but this is a classic example of why I don't like the statement, oh, you know, you just get whatever you can for the guy. Because so what? You got a conditional fit. Who cares unless you hit big on this fifth, which, spoiler alert, you're probably not. Well, okay, to be to be completely fair, Simmons completely played his value away. He has had a atrocious year he was mired in such a long scoring drought and his shooting percentage is so abysmal that i'm shocked anyone even made an offer but why even bother taking it yeah it's basically for free you at least get the continuity of having him finish out the year with these young kids and even a couple more months who knows how that'll be valuable to them moving forward in their careers but instead they shipped him off to buffalo for essentially nothing and i'm I'm just really confused as to why either team made this deal. I I don't know if it was you running the account or it was Mike at the time, but it was Mike. Okay, yeah. so where he Mike, said Mike's that, been running the account all day. Where this is this is a rare lose lose trade for both teams. I don't really get the point of sending him away, and I don't really get the point in acquiring him. Um, if you're not a contender, if you're a contender, then that leadership voice in the locker room can make the difference between, you know, winning that extra game in the playoffs and not doing it. Someone rallying the troops that way. But Buffalo is for sure not a contender. It's too close in not only the Atlantic division, but in the Eastern conference, there's six teams in the Metro that are, uh, close to a playoff spot. I mean, seven teams in the Metro division that are close to a playoff spot are in one. So I don't really see where they saw themselves in their window of opportunity. And it's a weird end to the Simmons saga in New Jersey. He really, you know, he had had a down season in Nashville and people thought the price might've been too high, but for a one year tag, you know, it wasn't a big deal since the devils had the space for it. They, had to retain all the salary and were only able to fetch a fifth from a non-contending team is just such a bizarre deal that I'm I'm wondering if there may have been some desire expressed from Simmons to go there for some reason. Maybe it's close to home for him. Well, it is close to home from where he, I believe he is in Ontario. And the, the no trade clause you alluded to earlier was an eight-team uh, list of teams he didn't want to be traded to. So clearly for him to waive, it means Buffalo was one of those teams. So I guess he figured, whatever, <laughs> if you're going to move me, move me. We'll see what happens. So whatever. So that takes care of Simmons. And that happened around noon. Mm-hmm. And then um, I will say that this this year's trade deadline, typically I tend to follow throughout the entire day. And there have been some deadlines where pretty much nothing happens until 3 o'clock or till more appropriately 2:30. Uh but this today this year's trade deadline stuff was happening from the get-go like from 9 a.m. onward like you had the Pajot deal you had a, a bunch of minor deals so like yeah there was enough interest you know all of a sudden you hear Parise and Ladd were waving their no trade clauses and it's like whoa we're going to see a big swap there that never happened so there was some interest throughout the day but the devils wouldn't strike again until 2:50 when and this is important Dan Bob McKenzie first reported that Sammy Vatnin was going to the Carolina Hurricanes. And then we waited about 20 minutes to find out what the details were. And then McKenzie, Bob McKenzie of TSN, legendary reporter and insider, Dan, Bob McKenzie tweeted out that the Devils got Yane Kuokanen. That's that's how, how I'm going to pronounce this. I think it's just Kukanen. Kukanen, sure, whatever. Kukinen and a second round pick from Carolina. And that led people like myself to react to it and write a whole post about it. And then just as I got the post up, Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada comes in and says, no, the details are different. Sammy Vatanen went to <laughs> Carolina. That much was true. And the Devils did get Yanni Kukinen. But instead of a second rounder, 
the Devils got the rights to Frederick Clayson, a 27-year-old left-sided defenseman who's played his entire season this year with Charlotte of the AHL. So he's a throw-in. He's also a pending free agent. And a conditional fourth-rounder, which is dependent on how many games Vatnin plays. We don't know what, how, what that condition exactly is. But if he meets it, it becomes a third. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a my initial reaction to McKenzie's return was, great, that's great for a rental that's you know, you, the Devils get a second the Devils didn't otherwise have. Kukinen seems to be a productive prospect, and he was a victim of the numbers game in Carolina. So in New Jersey, he'll get an opportunity at least. I think we'll see him at some point this coming month yeah. just to see what he can do. And if not this month, then definitely in training camp uh, in the fall. However, the fact that it's instead of a second rounder, it's a conditional fourth and Frederick Clayson. <laughs> kind of sours the mood a little bit well, <laughs> it brings down the excitement level but at the same time we're talking about a rental and a guy who's still on ir yeah so. exactly I, I i you have to wonder if not if but how much being on ir for this long and the fact that when they asked about his status nazardine said his foot was so swollen he couldn't even get into this gate that's uh not something that any team trading for Vatnin would want to hear. So you no. do have to wonder how much it impacted his value and maybe cratered it to an extent. But Kukunen is a nice return for someone who is a rental, given that he's 21 years old. He plays for, uh, like you said, he had played for the Charlotte Checkers. He had 42 points as a member, and I think he was up there with their leading scorers, but he immediately becomes Binghamton's leading scorer. Absolutely. And, um, you know, he's very much a playmaker, but he's not, you know, somebody who just dishes out passes. He fights for pucks. He plays well. He has to apparently work on his defense. That's what the word on the street is. But, hey, you know, who doesn't on this team? So whatever. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fine pickup. You know, the Devils are kind of bereft of offensive prospects. So out of the deals that they made last Sunday for Coleman and the deal that they made for Vatnin, you can say you added Nolan Foote and Kukin into the mix. So you've addressed that need in the in the. draft so to speak the interesting Um, thing with him though is that he's a center and we know that centers as we've seen hughes these last couple games the great hughes wing experiment we know that they're flexible enough to play on the wing in a lot of cases so oh yeah you have to wonder their center depth is going to be really interesting if they actually want him to be a center but i'm imagining that his initial deployment will be on the wings as the more tenured devils remain in yeah, center but we're, we're, we're devils fans i mean we we've seen this many many times in our in our fandom so to speak zach parise was drafted as a center made his money as a left winger patrick eliash was drafted as a center he played as a left winger until they needed a center and said fine we'll move eliash to center yes he's not good at face but he does everything else that you want in a center so you know job done um so that that happens you have to go where the minutes and the opportunities are and we see it with zaka pretty much every other month i want to say where you know some nights he's a center and some nights he's a winger so if kukinen can get an opportunity and i think he will he'll take it wherever it is whether it's center left winger defense goaltender i'm sure he'll uh, relish the opportunity since he definitely was not getting it in carolina right so um again i really wish mckenzie's report was true i like that return better than friedman's but it is what it is but um at least you could say the devil's got a return for that and then after the deadline, after 3 p.m., the third and presumably final trade of the day for the Devils is a minor league move. One that was uh, perhaps prophesized, for lack of a better word, yeah. based on actions that were happening earlier. So you know how I mentioned before the San Jose game that Domingue was scratched and then put on waivers and Corey Schneider was called up? So for a team, if a team wanted Louis Domingue but didn't want him on their NHL team because, you know, he's not good at the NHL level, that meant that he would have to go through waivers to be sent down. However, if you if the devil sent him down and cle- had hit them clear waivers there, they could trade him as a player, but he would already be in the AHL, so he wouldn't have to clear waivers again. Right. So I think that helped make it possible for Deming to be dealt. And after 3 p.m., it came out that uh, from McKenzie, and this actually held up as true. You know, Friedman didn't come in and say something else. Nobody else came in and said something else. <laughs> uh, Domingue was straight up traded for Zane McIntyre of Vancouver. So he is Utica's goaltender. He is having a bad season with Utica. 
So the Devils traded a bad NHL goaltender for a bad AHL goaltender and save a couple thousand dollars in the process. Yeah, I so, mean, th- this yeah. is like a... <laughs> it's like as business-like as a transaction's going to get. Like, it, it's almost entirely inconsequential, except for the fact that Domingue could have actually helped Binghamton in their playoff push. But well, it, he, it, it, he it just... had a bad return to him. He had a bad return to Binghamton this weekend. Oh sure, but like he's gonna be better than McIntyre allegedly either way. But that being said, you know that's not what you make the trades for. So Vancouver was looking for some NHL depth and goaltending because Markstrom got injured. Um, either I, I'm not sure if it was in practice or during a game, but he got injured. So they were looking for oh. someone who had some sort of NHL experience to fill that depth role. And I know they weren't the only team doing so as there was another goalie on the move as Robin Lehner went to Vegas. True. But that was a bigger deal. I mean, you know, Lehner's going to help a Vegas team that they just can't rely on, on flurry anymore. They just can't, if they, if they want to compete going forward, they can't rely on flurry. So Lehner was an absolutely massive pickup for them. Um, yeah, but in Vancouver, you know, it's the Thatcher Demko show. If Thatcher Demko plays well, Vancouver, you know, and again, they need it in Vancouver. Like it's a tight race in the Pacific Division uh, for the playoffs. So Domingue is, you know, he he's just there to hopefully not be terrible, I guess. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't hold your hopes, uh, Vancouver fans. Good luck to them. I, I mean, the people, this is a podcast. They can't see me shrug, but I'm shrugging right now. Everybody listening, shrug with me. Yeah, this this there one didn't feel that. Uh, I mean, this one was like, okay, thanks for your brief time here. He was signed mid-season, so they just kind of... Oh, traded for mid-season. Oh, sorry, traded for mid-season. There was not much going either way in this, and Domingue did play some games, and he played some games pretty well with the Devils, and then he played a lot of games pretty poorly, so... Very poorly. So, you know, uh, this one doesn't feel like there's much consequence. I think the biggest consequence to me was the fact that some of the names that we were talking about before didn't get traded, especially given the returns that we were seeing on Green and Coleman specifically. So yeah. th- this is going to bring us into the conversation of Palmieri and Severson potentially, specifically, because their names were kicked around so much in these last couple of weeks. And you have to think that teams ramped up their efforts to go for Palmieri, Um, the second that the Rangers announced that they're re-signing Chris Kreider. Because all of a sudden, Palmieri became the best controllable available winger. But I think what the Devils have decided, and I think it has a lot to do with his off-ice presence, you know, the the military ball, um, the fact that he is a local from New Jersey, they want Kyle Palmieri to be one of those players that fills that bridge role of veterans that usher the young kids through the league but can still be productive and of i guess coleman and green who are left palmary does feel the most valuable to that to that end i don't know maybe that's the assessment that they made but it does feel like he's very majorly involved in the community and i i think because they didn't get a package because teams were wary of overpaying specifically today and I think they were worried about what the buyer's market might look like. I'm not sure that Fitzgerald got something that he liked. So he decided to retain Palmieri, which is a move that I don't disagree with because they can try to sell him again next deadline if they need to. I'm hoping they don't need to and can agree to some sort of extension with him. But it's not something they had to do today, absolutely. And the same goes for Severson, who has a couple years left. Like Any team adding him would have to have given up a lot, and it would have been a luxury for them. And I don't think a lot of teams can afford that at the moment. And more importantly, I don't think the devils really could. I mean, the fact that let's be real Coleman is a way, you know, a goal scoring winger, high shooting winger, high volume shooting this season. So the fact that he was moved means, you know, if you get rid of Palmieri, then who do you have shooting the puck on the wings? Mm -hmm. Like literally, who do you have? So ultimately I think that move helped, raise the price for Palmieri. And the fact that his name was bandied about by the Freedmans, the Darren Dragers, the Bob McKenzie's and the Pierre Lebruns of the world saying, but they all said the same thing that if the, if, if you want Palmieri, you're going to have to pay a high price. And I think that's appropriate. I think if the devils were to get that offer, let's say, I don't know, it was similar to what Jason Zucker pulled in. Mm-hmm. As I said in the previous episode, you got to at least listen to the call, but you got to consider it's not an automatic zero. Uh, or an automatic yes or an automatic no. So 
Similarly to that end, if Vatnin was truly on the block, and he was, and he was eventually dealt away despite the fact he's on injured reserve, it meant that if you want Severson, guess what? You're going to have to pay a lot more because otherwise, you know, the Devils just don't have another player other than P.K. Subban for that right side. So, I mean, the other moves the Devils made, in effect, raised the prices out of necessity because, you know, you still need guys to play on the team this season. Uh, it's not like Binghamton has a lot of great defensive defensemen that you want to see grow into it. I mean, Colton White doesn't have much of a future. Dakota Mermis is Dakota Mermis. Um, you know, Matt Tennyson is Matt Tennyson. Like, you know, these guys do not have long futures in the NHL, much less with the Devils. So, you know, the Devils don't have that luxury to say, all right, we'll move you. And then because this got your next, uh, your understudy is ready to go, or we'll see how he does. Mm-hmm. You, the Devils don't have that luxury. So to that end, the prices on those guys got higher. On top of that, you have to look at some of the other deals that were made around the league. Um, as you mentioned, Chris Kreider getting signed to a seven-year, seven-season ex- uh, extension with our hated rivals. That helped rise the price for Palmieri because now there, who else are you going to go out and get if you want a scoring winger? Um, Je- uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot, he was one of the first guys traded today. That's another big scoring player that was off the market immediately. So it, all those other moves meant guess what? If you want this guy, you're going to have to pay a lot. And I think a number of teams said, no, we're not going to completely sell the farm and do just that, just to get that little bit of help for this season and next season. And Brady Shea is is the other example I was just, just remembered because he was also picked up by Carolina uh, for a first. And the difference between Shea and Vatnin is that, well, Shea is younger. Shea has a long, he's got three or four years left on his contract. And, you know, who's to say he can't contribute like Vatnin does? So, you yeah. know, to that extent, guess what? The price is the price of admission would have to be a first. So if Shea it got, went for that, you got to think Severson would about would go for about a comparable amount in return. And again, who's going to run out and get 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 to pay that? And and in in reality, the answer was nobody. So fair fair to Fitzgerald for not uh, selling those guys off. But as it stands, the Devils have six big holes. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. Five big holes and a backup goaltender hole uh, for for all the moves that they have made this season. Yeah, but well, that being said, it was an optimal time to be in the seller's market. And I think there's several factors that go into that. And I think two teams in particular kind of made a lot of teams more emboldened when assessing what prospects and picks to give up for this year specifically. So uh, one team is Columbus after seeing that they went all in last year and they managed to take down the best regular season team of the cap era, I think a lot more teams were saying, okay, maybe we just have to get there. And then, you know, if we believe in our guys enough, no matter how many of them are going to be rentals after the season, like this could really be something special. And taking that to the greatest extent was the St. Louis Blues. I think the fact that they did their run from January to the Stanley Cup opened the eyes of a lot of teams who were basically saying at this point, I mean, the Blues were good before the run started. They were way underperforming of where they should have been. And it took them getting Bennington to turn that around. But I think a lot of teams saw that and said, we just have to get there. We just have to do everything in our power to get there. And once we do, like... We have a legitimate shot at this this year, and Boston and Tampa are markedly stronger than the field this year in terms of, you know, average team play points and a lot of the counting stats you look at. But I think people seeing Columbus take down that Tampa juggernaut last year and seeing St. Louis make a run that started way back in January, I think teams that aren't that far out of it in February, for example, did a lot more buying than they usually would given the parody that's going on. Absolutely. I mean, again, Buffalo, I think is the only team that just kind of made that bizarre Simmons trade that indicated they are going for it. And then they traded Shiri and Rodriguez granted Rodriguez asked for a trade back in December. So they finally got around to, you know, making that happen, but they also traded Shiri back to Pittsburgh. So it's like, okay, so you're not going for it, but you're absolutely right. A team, who's on the quote-unquote bubble, like Edmonton, for example. They're currently in a playoff spot, but by no means is anything secure in the Pacific Division. Well, they went out and got Andreas Athanasio. They went out and got Tyler Ennis, who, for a, you know, a fifth-round pick in 2021... They got Mike Green last night. 
They got Mike Green very late last night. NHL.com reported it at like one in the morning. Um, you know, they decided they looked at their roster and said, you know what, if not now, then when? And credit to them for going for it in that sense, because those moves can be the moves that help make them secure a playoff spot and uh, keep going. It also helps that they, they badly need the best player in the world. And so they're essentially only looking for at any given time someone who can keep up with him and Athanasio fits that bill but but that being said you're exactly right they're not solidified in a playoff spot yet but let's look at the teams like um, I mean Carolina and the Islanders they're both right on the bubble they made some moves today the Penguins see the Metropolitan within their reach and they made a lot of aggressive trades over the last couple of weeks and today to shore up that team they went out they got a mix of veterans young guys they brought Connor Sherry back because Gensel's out so he's ready to be that guy again for a Pittsburgh playoff run um, they they got Marlowe I mean there's a lot of improvement happening across the board for a a lot more teams than are usually involved because I don't think there is there's a distinct separation of contenders between like Boston Tampa and then other but I think the other has more of a legitimate shot to win than ever before and I think more people believe that given what they saw last year I think last year really changed a lot in terms of setting the buying and selling market for a couple of years to come and then it'll reset eventually but I think for at least the next couple of years people are going to point to 2019 and say okay listen if St. Louis can come back from that if that Columbus team can beat that Tampa team who knows what we can do with our squad right and the big and the name of the game with the playoffs you know to quote uh, a favorite coach or maybe an infamous coach, depending on how you view him from a local football team in the area, you got to get on the bus. It doesn't matter if you're on the front of the bus, the back of the bus, you just got to get on the bus. And maybe that bus takes you all the way to the Super Bowl. You can take three guesses as to which uh, New York head coach of an NFL team said that uh-huh. if you're a Jets fan. You knew exactly what I talked about. Cause only one coach would talk like that. Uh, in that motivational, but at the same time, kind of like, uh, dude, what are you talking about? Like, he literally held up a piece of paper saying, hey, every media, I'd like you to know, we, today we got officially informed by the National Football League, we are now in the playoffs. We are in the playoffs. <laughs> well, see, I, I mean, that could have been Tom Coughlin, too. No, Tom Coughlin does not joke to reporters. He he yells or says Oh, he could little. have been yelling that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Scratch all that. The point <laughs> is, is that you're absolutely right, Dan. The Hockey is a very chaotic sport, and for a lot of teams, you just you can get that hot goaltender run or that hot line running or just have a bad slump at a bad time. So the fact of the matter is that if you just got to get in. Get in and then do your best as you go. It's a big cliche in sports, but it really is a one-game-at-a-time system. And to that extent, yeah, look for that. You know, Don't make that big trade and just show to the world that you're going to be big sellers unless you're a team like New Jersey and you're way, way, way out of it. You know, if you're a team on the bubble like Carolina or Col- or Philadelphia even, you know, go out and make a couple moves to uh, shore up some holes in your roster and go out there and see what happens. And I'm, I'm just glad that they picked some sort of, I mean, not picked, but we're, we're forced into one direction over another. Because if you flip some of those overtime results and maybe like two or three of the losses they're right in the picture which is a tough spot to be in and who knows what the roster would have looked like with those kinds of results i'm pretty sure they still would have sold given that you know taylor hall trade happened months ago but who knows what it would have looked like if they were uh, instead of what 16 points out of a spot if they were something like eight or six or eight you know what i mean It, it it just it takes on a completely different complexion when they're completely set in being sellers and has that fact has been signaled to the league as a whole i think people's offers get a lot more serious than when you're waffling between oh are we contending this year or are we not which is essentially what the rangers did and a lot of it was confusing to me but you know the season i wanted look a lot more like the one that they're having as opposed to the one the devils are having but they did just resign Kreider for what feels like a playoff push, despite the fact that their star rookie goaltender uh, was injured last night in a car accident. So I'm not really sure what the logic was between those two things, but it's a weird spot for any team to be in where they're not quite in the playoffs and they're not quite out of it. And to decide what to do at the deadline at that point with the 
concept of anyone can make it if they just get there or should we take the bullet and just do what's best for the team moving forward and i i do appreciate that the devils firmly entrenched themselves in one of those directions very early on like it wasn't a surprise that they were massive sellers by this point in fact it wasn't even a surprise by november right so that being said dan now that we know what all what the devils did as a whole are you pleased with what the Devils got in return for the six players that they traded? I think given the situation, and I think given the overall haul, if you if you just look at it, instead of looking at it player by player and just look at the overall pool of assets, I think that's a pretty good haul as a total. Like, each transaction may not have been great, but I think the Coleman one really makes up for a lot of them. I think that they did really well in that trade and they got a legitimate prospect and a couple of firsts in the process of, you know, this whole thing. And we still you know, have yet to see the return on the Taylor Hall deal, which knowing what we know now, who knows what it might have looked like at the deadline instead. But I, I don't think that situation would have gotten any better. So I think as a whole, I'm pleased with what you know, obviously I'm not pleased with how the season's gone that they had to do this, but I am pleased with what they were able to get back because a lot of these assets could have looked a lot worse given that they were members of the Devils. Right. Well, I'm a little more down on this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they got good value for Coleman. They got good value for Green. I think the Devils, the fact that the Devils don't have a clear answer as far as who the GM is going forward, I think really undercut what the devils could have done mm-hmm. in retrospect. If ownership had that many doubts about Shero, even back in December, you do not let him trade Taylor hall at that time. Right. You do not let him have that responsibility. I mean, I understand the complaint will, or the response will be immediately all, oh, but John, what if he gets hurt? Well, so what guys, sometimes guys get hurt. Sometimes they don't. I mean, you can't just wrap up somebody in bubble wrap and, you know, set them out for a month or two just so you can make a deal in February. That being said, you know, I would love to have known, like, if you if you waited, you fired Cheryl first and then let Hall be dealt in January or February, you know, maybe you could have gotten a lot more when pe- teams are a little more desperate and maybe more willing to give up more than what Arizona did. That being said we can't unspill the milk. You know, we have to work on what we have, but that being said, I think again, I, I really can't help but think that if Fitzgerald and company waited just like another hour or two, they could have gotten something more tangible for Simmons, even if it was still a low draft pick, at least make it a low draft pick for this year, uh, instead of next year, which could be even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, the Ming trade is whatever, um, the Vatnin deal, you know, it's a rental and an IR. That's just a tough one. I think at the end of the day, it's a lot of case of you did the best you could, but without knowing whether or not Fitzgerald's the guy going forward or you have an idea of who your guy is going forward, it's really hard to sit back and say, well, the Devils did really well or the Devils really did poorly because we don't know exactly what the game plan is going to be for next season. We don't know. Is this team going to go spend a lot in free agency and try to become um, as you say, kind of where our, our hated rivals are in the standings, where you're not quite in the playoffs, but you're definitely not among the worst teams. I mean, that would be a big step forward for this team compared to the last two seasons. But is that it? Or is is the game plan going to be we're going to m- suffer through another season next year and hope that things turn around for 2020, 2021? Um, I'm sorry, for 2021, 2022? I don't know. Um, and that's going to be dependent on what the general manager does and whether or not ownership uh, supports that so anyway so 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 i'm just kind of in the middle on in a lot of this I, there are some of the deals i like some of them today's actions are just like you did you did whatever but i'm not like jumping up and down about about it you know yane kukunin could be rather good and that'll make me feel a lot better about all this but it is what it is i think for a team that's committed to a full rebuild as they've indicated at this point and that's tailored around the timelines of their young centers i think what they got instead of taking back like you know aging roster players or like maybe players that weren't as valuable for the immediate the fact that they accrued a lot of prospects and picks to me was good i think even even though the rounds for some of these picks may be completely negligible, people still use them as trade assets. So I don't even know if they're, they're very unlikely to hold on to all of these things, but they could make those kinds of deals for, you know, for cap strung teams like Shiro was famous for. It's just that a lot of his didn't quite work out. 
However, it's not to say that either Tom Fitzgerald or the next person makes those same I don't know if I'd call them mistakes because at the time people praised the moves but maybe it's just you know for whatever reason those specific players didn't work out but there's a lot of assets that the Devils can use moving forward and so much cap space it's unbelievable so for oh yeah they have the most in the league right now yeah and like by a country mile right like a lot of space before we jump into that Dan because we're going to have a whole off season unfortunately to discuss that yeah and and at length because you know We've got to find out who the GM is, whether or not we're going to get head coach, what the Devils do with the draft. And unfortunately, the season is effectively going to end for the Devils on April 4th, Mm -hmm. which leads me to this question, Dan. Yes. The Devils start a five game road trip this week. We already know Will Butcher is not going to be on it. Amanda Stein reported that his injury is going to keep him off the whole trip. And as you alluded to earlier, the Devils are going to face some easy competition in the first uh, three games on this trip. Actually, the first four games on this trip. Right. Uh, as they got Detroit on Tuesday, which is tomorrow, San Jose on the 27th, L.A. on the 29th. And yes, they're all road games. You know, anything can happen in California. But those the- those teams are bad and they're all below the Devils in the standings. Then they go take on Anaheim on March 1st, uh, another team that's be- currently below the Devils in the standings. So, Dan, starting on March 1st, I will spot you the Anaheim win. Okay. Because I think the Devils could beat Anaheim. Because Anaheim's a bad team as well. And I think they got weaker as well from the trade de- trades that they made today. Unless you believe Danton Heinen is amazing. Which I don't. Uh, they did get. They also got Sonny Milano, who's okay. But I, I think Anaheim's still going to be a bad team. Yeah. Anyway. Well, let's, just, so, let's just move past these four California. Or three California and one Detroit. Because they're right. the worst team in the cap era, I think, ever. Okay. How many more games do the Devils win this season? So this is a very interesting question you're asking me. Uh, do you mind if yes. I run through their run of opponents really quick? Absolutely. Run them down, Dan, because I think the people who matter need to know that this is going to not be pretty. Oh, and I'll also say if they're currently in the playoffs or not. How about that? Yeah, do that. Okay, so let me just pull up the the Western Conference standings real quick because I don't know them as well. So right away, we're starting with the Vegas Golden Knights. And the Vegas Golden Knights are very much in the playoffs. The Vegas Golden Knights the Pacific. are a good team, and the Devils will not be winning that game, most likely. Then they move to the Blues at home in the playoffs. The Rangers uh, in New York, so not in the playoffs. So there's maybe one that they could take, but the Rangers have been on a massive upswing recently. The Penguins, who are in. The Hurricanes, who occupy the second wildcard spot in the East. The Panthers, who are right behind, or four points behind them. The Lightning after that, the, who are in a spot. The Maple Leafs, who are in a spot. The Flames, who are the first wild card in the West right now. The Islanders, who are right there as well. They are in, a, in the first wild card in the East. The Blue Jackets, who are tied for the second wild card with Carolina. Minnesota, who is maybe the maybe pulled off one of the greatest non-trades at the deadline ever. They are not in a playoff spot, and they don't pull off moves like sending Zach Parisi away if they are. The Flyers, who are absolutely rolling right now, in a playoff spot as well. Hurricanes hold that second wild card. Penguins again. Then the, the lowly Sabres and Wayne Simmons. And finishing it off with the Islanders. Now, all of those teams I mentioned, except for Minnesota, Buffalo, and the Rangers, are... Either, oh no, even the Rangers are within four points of a playoff spot. Everyone except Minnesota and Buffalo. So, this is all to say, this is not an easy schedule. This is, in fact, a very difficult schedule. I think due to just, you know, league randomness and variance, I think the Devils could win three or four of the remaining games of the games between March and April. Because all those teams are going to be taking these games very seriously, and especially as teams that have playoff aspirations, the Devils, I hate to say it, are the kind of team you have to beat if anyone's going to take you seriously. Exactly. And not only that, that um, the Devils got weaker. Like, let's be real. Like, as much as we can say we like the returns, we don't like the returns, the fact of the matter is, within the last two weeks, the Devils have traded two defensemen who were on their top four for most of the season up until this month. They traded away one of their leading goal scorers in Blake Coleman. They traded away a veteran right winger who was, okay, not playing well, but he was at least a regular 
on the team. Like those are, and, and also the backup goaltender to Mackenzie Blackwood. Those are significant positions on the team. And given that the Devils are going to be playing so many games over the next uh, five weeks or so, you know, you're going to see a lot of guys uh, having to step up. And the Devils just don't have those guys. Even if they call up a whole bunch of guys from Binghamton and they all play well, they're not going to be so much better that NHL opponents are just going to, like, crumble at them. So to that extent, Dan, I'm not seeing more than, like, five wins for the remainder of the season after Anaheim. We may see Berkeley on the second line very soon. We might see it tomorrow in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, I mean, if you thought Corey, like, if you think very little of Corey Schneider, well, too bad. You're going to see more of Corey Schneider. Yeah. Uh, if you think very little of, uh, you know, a defense that has your left side of Mueller, White, Mermis, guess what? Until Butcher gets healthy, that's your left side of the defense for the next week. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's going to uh, be rough. And these are all yeah. playoff contenders who either were already playoff contenders and didn't impact the roster that much or improved. Exactly. And going back to what I was talking about with the seven games we covered, the Devils have given up a lot of shots and a lot of scoring chances in a lot of those games in just some really poor performances, including some teams against, including a, including Detroit, San Jose, and to a lesser extent, Florida, who are not playoff teams at the moment. Like, the teams that, you know, in that middle to bad range, the, you know, even two teams that the Devils should beat, and even though they did beat them, the Devils certainly didn't play well in them. Right. So it's like, you know, if you're if you're struggling to do well in five-on-five, five, even strength, overall in the run of play, all situations even, um, yeah, you know, it's not going to get any better when you're playing against quality opponents, especially opponents, excuse me, opponents who all have something to play for because Pittsburgh has something to play for. They have a division to win. St. Louis wants to hold on to first place in the Western Conference. Tampa Bay could take over Boston in the Atlantic. Florida needs points. Toronto needs points. You know, Carolina, Columbus, the Flyers, the Rangers, and the Islanders all need points for their respective playoff runs. So as you said earlier, they all have an incentive. They all have meaning in these games against the Devils. And to your point, if they're going to be serious about succeeding, they got to beat a team as crummy as the Devils. So it's going to be an ugly, 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 ugly march. Buckle up, I'll folks. I'll see what happens. Yeah, but yeah get, get, many great seats will be available at the Rock. Uh, our, our game <laughs> recaps are going to be nowhere near as fun, but also it'll give us an opportunity to really uh, – expand our content because we're going to have to find ways to not depress ourselves when we talk about this because it's as you mentioned it's not going to be pretty it's going to be a true slog to get through these final 21 games that the devils have and uh i i'm very i'm feeling very apprehensive about it but once it's over it's over at least the next four games should be at the very least on the devil's level. Yeah. They might win. We might have a four game winning streak coming up on top of the two, the devil's just won. So there may be one last chance at a winning streak, unless something improbable happens like the devil, you know, Blackwood staying super hot or somebody getting hot and just, you know, being total spoilers at appropriate times. Yeah. I mean, what I'm looking for the most is if Blackwood wins a lot of these games or performs very well and the numbers look good, is where he'll land among the Calder finalists. Because I think, given his recent run, there's been a little bit more talk about him. But if he finishes strong with a good March and a you know good remainder of February, because there's only two games in April, I think he can get some conversation for, like, you know, second or third in the race, potentially. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible, but this has been a year full of rookie goalies doing very well also. Oh, yeah, absolutely. especially and, in the Metropolitan Division. Yeah, well, that's something that's been coming up more and more in the uh, MSG broadcast is about how all the uh, Metropolitan teams have a young goaltender, a goaltender under the age of 25 who's already showing off that they are a potentially high quality goaltender. You don't just have Blackwood in New Jersey. You have Shesterkin and Georgiev with our hated rivals. You have... Uh, Carter, Carter Hart. Hart in Philadelphia. Ilya Samsonov in Washington is already outplaying Braden Holtby. You got Sorokin in, uh, coming for the Islanders. Sorokin is eventually coming over to the Islanders, so he's a potential option there. Elvis. In, Col- El- in Columbus, you have Elvis uh, Merzlikens, and behind him, some other guys whose names I'm not going to attempt at the moment. <laughs> um, you also have, even though he hasn't gotten his chance, but he might soon do the injuries in, Car- uh, in net in Carolina, uh, Andres Ned. Ned-, Ned- 
Nedeljkovic mm-hmm. from Charlotte apparently is very highly touted, so he's going to get his opportunity before we know it, I think. And I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, Jari. in Pittsburgh, Tristan Jari. So there you go. Like that's pretty much the entire division. That you know has a young goaltender already playing well and playing significant minutes for their teams now, or they have somebody coming in very soon that will. So it's just going to be much, much, much more difficult because as we know, if you have a good goaltender, that can make up for a lot of sins. So it remains to be seen how the devils account for that as they go forward. But of course they have a lot of other things they need to do first. Like, I don't know, establish a management, uh, establish, <laughs> yeah. GM, establish a management team, establish, um, executive you know, hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of other things that happen to happen. But again, we have a lot of time later this offseason to discuss that. So, yeah. So let's uh, bring things to a wrap today. This is an extra long episode, as expected, coming back from our uh, little two week break here. And also, given that the, there was a lot of news surrounding the transactions, but take a good look at these new look devils and try to pick out players that you'd like to see on the team next year and see how they perform. I know a lot of fans are going to be looking towards the prospects and players that the devils got back, especially this year, but there's a couple of guys in Binghamton who are going to get their shot and maybe they'll have a decent look at the roster next year. Cause it seems to all be out in the open. I mean, they're going to have to spend some money because they have a lot of cap room, but these guys are going to come up for these last couple of games. They're very interesting, especially guys like Merkley, who I know has, you know, gained a little bit of traction among the fans because he, he does play hard. It's fun to watch him uh, rove around, but it's guys like that that we see coming up these next couple of games that are going to be the most important. The results at this point, and really at any point in the last couple of months, have been mostly negligible. It always feels good to win, but it's not essential as long as they're developing and playing well. Well, again, just as one final point, and I guess we can end it on this point. Keep in mind that the Devils and every other NHL team in the league, they're limited to four non-emergency call-ups for the remainder of the season. So there's no more roster limit. Like, you can have more than 23 players on your roster, on your active roster, but if, if you're going to call somebody up, you only have four of them that you can make unless somebody's hurt. So keep that in mind. I mean, right now, Will Butcher is injured. I wouldn't be surprised if he's put on IR soon, and that allows the Devils to call somebody else up from Binghamton, whether that's Kukinen, whether that's um, whether that's Brett Sini or Michael McLeod or anybody else they want to take a look at. So you're right, Dan. We're going to probably see a couple faces just get an opportunity. I don't think we'll see a ton of them just because, again, you're limited to four non-emergency call-ups. But at the same time, Binghamton also has a playoff race now. They're actually in a playoff race. So you don't want to completely gut Binghamton's uh, opportunities for, um, you know, just to get a couple NHL looks here. Mm -hmm. But that's something the Devils are just going to have to balance over the next month or so. And again, it's only five more weeks. So yeah. And luckily, the end. luckily all we have to do is talk about that. So we'll continue doing so as the season progresses again, everyone appreciates the patience here from the devil's fans. I think we've been through a lot as a collective and we're looking to see some of the developments from this year really manifest as time goes forward. But until then, we'll have you up to date on the games and we'll do some fun stuff on the weekends. So we're back with the Garden State of Hockey podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day or night whenever you listen. And as always, no matter who's on the team, no matter how they're doing, let's go Devils. Go Devils.